This is your Friday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Welcome to the weekend for everybody ready to celebrate. Should be a good, nice weekend. Should be a lot to read in the Star Tribune. Lots of good coverage of the 3M Open. Patrick Royce, Lavelle Enil III out at Cooperstown for induction weekend. Tony Oliva, Jim Cott, and David Ortiz. I will have Lavelle E. Neal III on today's show a little bit later to talk about that induction ceremony, to talk about, you know, everything that goes into the Cooperstown experience. We've both been there. We've both enjoyed everything the Baseball Hall of Fame has to offer, just kind of the the, the scene out there. I want to get to Kyler Murray's huge new contract with um with the Cardinals, um, what 180 million guaranteed, something like that. Uh, you know, 230 million total, an unbelievable number. I know Kyler Murray is a good quarterback. I don't know where I put him in the overall, you know, quarterback hierarchy. And let me just correct myself quickly: 160 million guaranteed, only 160 million guaranteed, but a five-year extension, 230 million dollars total on that. Uh, on that contract for Kyler Murray. So we'll get into a little bit of that and a uh, a funny piece of it that caught my eye in the ESPN.com story about it. Um, but first, what did I miss? Twins, now some teams back in action already on Thursday after the baseball all-star break. Almost everybody else back Friday. Twins don't play until Saturday. It gives us one extra day to kind of think about, you know, the offseason um, not, not the offseason, the rest of the season, and kind of what what is in store for them. So I thought I would start off today's show with five predictions I have for the rest of this 2022 Twins season. So let's get to that right now. First, I've got a couple guys that I think are due for a big second-half surge. So the first prediction, I think Alex Kirilov has a monster second half. He's been building toward it already. You look at his overall numbers, they don't look all that great, but a lot of that is skewed by terrible start he had to the season when he clearly was not healthy, you know, through his first, you know, 10 games this season when obviously his wrist was still bothering him. You know, he had some a stint in April, a stint in May. His OPS after that point was 398. His batting average was 172. He finally came back June 17th and has been pretty much a regular since then. In that time span, has been much better in OPS, over 800, a batting average near 300. He is a very good hitter. I think he is poised for a monster second half, really take off, you know, have his season become what the Twins hoped it would become at the beginning of the season. You know, It's really been that way since mid-June. I think he carries that through as long as he stays healthy. I feel like he carries that through and and even more uh, the rest of the season. So I'm I'm projecting a big monster second half for Alex Kirilov, which the Twins could use. They need some more offensive consistency. I think the offense has been good, but they've definitely had their dry spells. They've been shut out too much. They, you know, they go through these droughts where they just can't score runs, can't get clutch hits. Alex Kirilov being the hitter that he has been and more would do would go a long way to solving some of those problems. Speaking of solving some of those problems, on the pitching side, I've got Sonny Gray pegged for a big second half. He was having a great first half until a bad month of July. Three bad starts this month. 
you know, took his ERA from just over two to, to you know close to four now. He was down to 2.17 after that excellent start in Cleveland on June 27th. But since then, July has been a clunker. 14 earned runs allowed in three July starts, totaling just 13 and a third innings. Really disappointing, especially that last start on July 14th against the White Sox. But throughout his career, Sonny Gray's best month in his in his career has been August, ERA sub three. So maybe he comes flying out of this post break, you know, rejuvenated, comes into this thing with, you know, a fresh arm, fresh mindset. And he is a competitor. He likes to pitch in those situations. So I feel like he is poised for a big second half, just like Alex Kirilov. And again, the Twins need that. They're pitching depth. We've talked about it plenty. It's not great, it's not good. It's pretty average. They've kind of skated by with some overachieving performances from the likes of Devin Smeltzer, maybe from the likes of Josh Winder. I think for part of the season, Joe Ryan probably exceeded expectations, although he's coming back down to earth a little bit. By and large, their starting pitching has been better than we have expected. Team ERA for the starters right now, 3.96, middle of the pack. It's been getting worse, but that's still, you know, from from what we thought of the starting rotation at the start of the year, that's still probably better than we could have expected. By the way, this has been bothering me for a little while, and so I went and looked at it. Wes Johnson, the pitching coach, left about three weeks ago, right at the end of June. Twins team ERA by month this year. March and April, 3.16. May, 3.64. June, 4.18. Then Wes Johnson leaves. July so far, 5.04. And listen, I don't know if that's all Wes Johnson. That could just be circumstantial. could be regression to the mean. But that fact can't be overlooked that their pitching coach left in the middle of the season and the pitching has gotten worse since then. So they need everybody on board to pitch better, including a veteran like Sonny Gray. Number three on my list, I think they get some relief help before the deadline. I think they have to. If they're going to be serious about staying in this race, that is the easiest area to fix. I'm not saying it's, you know, I'm not saying it's simple. I'm saying of the things they can address, I don't think they can go out and get a frontline starting pitcher and feel good about what it does to their situation. Otherwise, I don't think they need. To, I don't think they need to go out and get another hitter. I think the offense is okay. You can fix the. You can't. I mean, I was to say you can't fix this bullpen with one move or necessarily two moves, but you can make it better. You can make it so you get to end of game situations and have more pitchers that you reliably trust than you do right now. So I feel like they make at least one significant move to bolster the bullpen, maybe one other fringe move, and let's not forget they might get Kenta Maeda back for September, and if he if he does come back, that would be. As a, as a relief pitcher in a bullpen role, and that could be a pretty big boon if he comes back from his surgery, his Tommy John surgery, and is able to pitch and be effective, that would be a big deal for them. Not that they should count on it, but if they did get that, that would be another bonus down the stretch. Number four, I tried to figure out a way that the Twins traded away a position player, someone of major contribution right now I just don't see it happen so I don't think they make any kind of major subtractions at the deadline Carlos Correa is the name that is most intriguing because they risk losing him after this season if he just opts out and has this one-year deal he could fetch a pretty good haul but they're in first place right now there's only going to be about 10 days between Saturday's game and the trade deadline 
I don't see how you trade one of your best players, one of the guys you think could get you to the postseason, and then honestly tell your fans you are going for it this year. So I don't see a Carlos Correa trade. The one name that really intrigued me was Max Kepler. I just can't see that happening at this point with Trevor Larnick, you know, probably out into, you know, deep into August after surgery. If if Larnick was healthy and Alex Kirilov was going the way he was, I could see pushing a Kepler trade. Maybe that's the piece that gets you a bullpen arm. Maybe it still happens, but they're pretty thin in the outfield right now. They've been getting Byron Buxton into games, but a lot of times as a, as a DH. Beyond that, there's just not a lot of depth. So I think it's hard for me to envision how you can trade Max Kepler at this point unless there's an offer on the table you can't refuse and you feel like it's going to make you stronger overall. So I just didn't find a trade of a everyday player that I thought was palatable if they are going to remain competitive. And that brings me to number five. Speaking of remaining competitive, I think the AL Central race goes down to the final weekend. I don't know what the ultimate outcome is, but this is too tight. Twins are up two on Cleveland, three on Chicago at the break. You know, there's a little over seven, a little less than 70 games left for the Twins. You know, a lot to play still, but they've got. You know, that almost that entire month of September, they're playing against AL Central teams. They've got, starting September 2nd, they've got nine games against the White Sox and eight games against Cleveland between September 2nd and the rest and the end of the regular season. So there's going to be 17 games that month between the Twins and presumably their two, you know, most serious competitors in the AL Central. I don't see how this thing becomes a runaway. You know, they're certainly going to get to September with an opportunity, even if they've drifted back in the standings a little bit. So I feel like this is going to come down to that last weekend when they play Chicago. And I don't know how that's all going to work out, but it is going to be a nail-biting summer if you are a Twins fan. MGM Wine & Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, premixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine & Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. Really happy to have Lavelle E. Neal III back on Daily Delivery. Lavelle, of course, a columnist now at the Star Tribune, but for a long time covered baseball and the Twins and kind of combining those things this weekend, Lavelle, as you'll be out in Cooperstown for a Baseball Hall of Fame induction weekend that has a decidedly Minnesota flavor to it. Our colleague and friend Patrick Royce will be there as well. Um, Sounds like he'll have an interesting journey uh, as he's out there, but David Ortiz, um, obviously a little bit of a Minnesota connection there with his start to his career before he went on to glory in Boston. But the big ones being Tony Oliva and Jim Cott, both going in as inductees this year as well. What, uh, Lavelle, I know you've been out there before for various things. What do you imagine this weekend will be like from a Minnesota perspective, from a you know, coverage perspective, things like that? Well, you know, I think from Minnesota's perspective is this, is that uh, it took 45 years from the time Tony took his last at bat as a player to get inducted into the hall. That's a long, that's, that's almost two generations ago. Um, and so I think there's going to be a lot of emotion um, from the Minnesota side. 
people who remember Tony for what he did in the 60s and 70s before knee injuries cut his career short. And uh, I think it's going to, uh, and plus the diehard baseball fans, you know, uh, people my age who, you know, are baseball geeks and they, they read about the twins of the past and, and revered Cotton, revered Tony. Um, plus, you think with Tony, Tony is like unofficial ambassador of Minnesota, you know, not just for sports, but sure. for everything. I mean, uh, I was pointing out in my story about Tony is that at the Winter Classic, he got the loudest applause for any dignitary that was announced before the game. The loudest cheer came for Tony Oliva, uh, a, a, a Cuban player on a ice, on a frozen, made up temporary ice <laughs> rink at Target Field. Uh, just uh, a remarkable feat. Um, uh, from a coverage standpoint, it's going to be real interesting because, you know, we've had to space out our coverage this week. We've written about Cot and we're writing about, uh, we've written about Ortiz and I'm writing about Tony Oliva. Um, and uh, it's going to be an interesting confluence of media people just because, not just because of Cot and Oliva uh, in the heydays when the Twins were really good and threatening for World Series and things like that. But, you know, Ortiz uh, will have the Minnesota and Boston media split. Because uh, you know he he had a career with both organizations, and uh, you know it was the Twins' decision to let him go. But uh, Ortiz was loved and respected and well liked by the media when he was with the Twins. So it's going to be good to catch up with him. I expect the parties to be epic. Um, these clubs throw parties uh, t- uh, after the ceremony for their players, and uh, they don't hold anything back. I was really impressed with uh, Morris's party that the Tigers threw. Uh, one of my mellow snapshots from that. Uh, party was uh, Jim Polad and the owner of uh, I can't remember 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 what Illich it is uh, the, the son of the late great Mike Illich who now owns the Tigers you know uh, leading a toast uh, to the entire party group uh, at that at that uh, gathering um, I remember the Braves party when Maddox and uh, Glavin went in it was pretty uh, pretty elaborate so I. And it sounds like the twins are holding nothing back in their celebration for Tony and Jim Cott. And I just know that David Ortiz, his, he'll, he'll probably donate money to the Red Sox and throw him a, a tremendous <laughs> bash. So um, it's going to be uh, fun times trying to find these parties <laughs> and get access to them. But uh, it should be a great, it's, it's just a great weekend for anyone who's ever been to Cooperstown. Um, your idea of New York is Manhattan, the Bronx and Queens. But when you, when you drive out, when you drive, when you fly into Albany or Syracuse, when you drive across small town Americana, you get a whole different appreciation for the state of New York because Cooperstown is small town USA. Uh, uh, the, the, the streets are quaint. Uh, everything's clean. Uh, night is incredibly quiet. I just remember sitting in, sitting on the steps of the house we were renting um, the last time I was there. And uh, it was like one o'clock in the morning. And I'm smoking a cigar and I just realized that I couldn't hear anything. There are no cars going down the street. There's no barking dogs, no cats, uh, no birds, no wind, no mosquitoes. It was just silence. And I was like, I don't get this where I'm from. No. You know, this doesn't <laughs> happen. You know, and then you enjoy going up and down Main Street and kind of checking out the little shops and the restaurants. Um, it's going to be a lot of fun um, getting to the museum. I still have not gotten to the top floor of the Hall of Fame Museum. The first time I was there, I got to two floors. The last time I was there, I got the three of my goal this year is to try to get to the fourth floor and at least see some some of the exhibits up there before I have to leave. Uh, we'll see uh, if I'll have time for that. But um, yeah, it's just quite it's just quite an experience. And like I said, if you're a baseball fan, you, it's a must do on your bucket list.
Yeah, I went out there in 1998. I think I was telling you that before we started recording and it was probably late fall and you know, it wasn't like an induction time or anything like that, but I was just happened to be out near there for a, a work trip and, and made a diversion there. And it really, it's, it's like, it's very unassuming that the town or village of, of Cooperstown, you come upon it and, you know, most of the year when there's not the induction or, you know, it's just the regular museum traffic. It's, you know, it's just this small town that happens to have this famous, you know, famous all of this baseball history and i guess it's kind of a little bit similar i guess you know like the basketball hall of fame being what in springfield massachusetts that's not a big place or you know canton ohio having the the pro football hall of fame i've been to the pro football hall of fame and the pro hockey hall of fame in toronto and they're all impressive in their own right but cooperstown does have this special kind of like you know just kind of like you're dropped into this place and there you can kind of almost like i don't know the the sense of place adds to the the feeling of of what you're, what you're experiencing, I think. Exactly. Exactly. Right. And uh, yeah, and you also um, get a, get a great sense of how, how deep, how deep and how, uh, how deep the love of baseball is in that area, in that small town and all the events they have. And, um, and the, um, the room where all the plaques are at, you know, you walk in and it's like, you're entering like uh, a church almost. You feel like you need to genuflect before you go start reading some of those plaques, man. So uh, it's a it's a pretty neat experience. And I've had a chance to get to the archive room, room in the basement of the museum. Uh, they were showing me copies of like game stories from like the late 1800s. Which wow. Took up the entire page of a newspaper with the sure. smallest, the smallest print I've ever seen. I'm like, <laughs> how do people read this one? And two, how long did it take this person to write this story? Because it, it, it was just long and long and you bring in weather, you bring in politics, you bring in <laughs> jokes and everything, you know, in order to to uh, write a full game story back in the day, man. So um, I had a chance to hold um, one of Willie Mays's bats, uh, which was pretty neat. Um, I was with some other people, so they were looking for Tony Gwynn stuff. And I actually saw there's a Tory Hunter box. You know, Tory has a box of stuff that he's donated to the Hall of Fame. So it's there. So he he has a he has a. a, a a, a box where his stuff is stored. And um, yeah, I just, you know, I've been getting excited just thinking about it, being able to be back there because you never know when the next time you're going to go. Yeah. Um, you know, I think that, I think Joe Mars got a chance to be in the hall of famer. So, you know, maybe in the next five or six years, maybe his day in the sun will come as well. And we'll be all back out there again. Yeah. I was going to ask you about Mal. I'll get to him in a little bit, just as we kind of spin forward, because his eligibility will start next year, right? He'll be on the ballot next year for the first time after retiring. Right. After the 2018 season, was that his last year? That sounds right. Um, so as we think about Oliva and Cot, though, I mean, they had to wait quite a while for this moment. We can kind of remind listeners, you know, the process that it took to get them in and also just like, you know, how special their careers were like Tony Oliva, you know, career cut short, obviously by injury, but you know, if you just kind of look at the best years he had, it's awfully impressive. And Jim Cott, just kind of that, that consistency he brought to so many years and being, being an excellent um, fielder on top of that. Over Tony's first eight seasons, he averaged three thirteen with an eight, with an eight sixty seven on base plus slugging percentage which would be coveted in today's game. Yeah, I would um, say so. That, that play today. And the thing is, if it was for knee injuries, he would have hit even more. The year he had the knee injury that really did him in was in 1971. It was on uh, June 29th when he dove for a ball in Oakland. 
he was hitting 375 wow. as of June 29th uh, that year. He ended up batting 337 because he just wasn't the same guy afterwards. And then that's when the real decline started. But he would get on these ridiculous streaks when I think it was a month where he hit like 430 one year, you know, and and then he'd get a knee injury. Now it'd slow him up, you know. Uh, so if he had played in today's game with modern med- medicine practices and uh, sleep and sleep pods and things like that, he probably would be even more uh, more prolific uh, as a hitter. And Kai, the Buxton you know, plan. Yeah, you know, caught the longevity, um, the durability. The year he won, he won 25 games one year. Um, uh, Mike, he started 41 games and had decisions in 38 of them. It was ridiculous. And I was looking it up. He got his, he went 25 and 13. I want to say it's 1976. I think that's it. And uh, maybe it was earlier than that. But um, Cott won his 25th game late in September. One to nothing. I know. Leave a home run in the ninth inning. Wow. Uh, and so there's a picture. Um, there, there's a picture. For some reason, the twins, uh, Clyde Detmer of the twins gave it to me. There's a picture of uh, Tony Oliva and Jim Cott after Oliva um, won the game for him. And they're both holding up the number 25 to signify uh, Cott's uh, victories that year. So Tony saw this photo. I just showed it to him a few days ago. He was like, yeah. I got to have a copy. That is nice. I never looked, he, look how young and good looking we were. He was like, I want a <laughs> copy of this picture. You know, so I'm giving, I'm going to, I'm going to give that photo to Tony when I'm done with it. I was just a, by point of clarification, it was 1966, not ah, 1976. Yes. But Thank it, you. It, it, yeah. It's okay. It's all right. It was, he threw 304 innings that season. Um, mm-hmm. Lavelle's uh, safe to say he probably saw the third time through the order a few times. <laughs> He'd be probably with the fourth time, fourth through, the time through the order. Totally. Yeah. Something unheard of in today's baseball. You know, that's, I like a lot of things that Rocco stands for, but that one bugs me. It just, because it's the, it's the collateral damage that trickles down through the bullpen because of that. I just, just, I'm not a fan of it. But um, yeah, these are throwback guys. And, you know, Tony, I believe, was part of uh, veteran committee's votes eight times. Yeah. Uh, since his playing days were over and this was time. And I was at the winter meetings in 2014 when uh, it was announced that Tony and Dick Allen both missed it by one vote. And there were gasps in the media work workroom of people like, Oh man, it was so close, you know? Yeah. And at that point I was like, I don't think Tony's ever going to get in. Right. You know, how many years removed is it from when he was a player? Right. So for this to happen to him, I, I think it's outstanding. And for Cott who finished, uh, out of the wasn't he finished he was two votes shy that same vote uh, for him to get in with his teammate and his confidant I think is wonderful yeah it's, it's really cool and of course obviously Ortiz with his Hall of Fame career that was more recent got in the more conventional um, means th- this time through but yeah it's gonna be a it's just just a cool story and something kind of you know something to kind of lift up baseball at you know at, at this point of at this point in the season, obviously the twins having a good year, but you know, something to kind of give the twins fans, a, a another reason to care about baseball. I got to imagine there's going to be a pretty good twins contingent out there. Twins fan contingent. I would imagine uh, for, for yeah, this the, whole weekend. Dave St. Peter told me he thought the, the twins traveling party is going to get the 50, uh, but just I, the, I just know the organization. Yeah. But I know, oh. I know of some fans who are going on their own. Like I, uh, one of my cigar smoking buddies is taking his family out, you know, to, for the event. You know, because he's a big baseball fan. You know, he's in the stratomatic baseball and everything. Oh, so man. He, he can't miss this for the world. And I think there's going to be a lot of people like him 
out in Cooperstown this weekend. So, yeah. Well, good stuff there. Let's spin it forward. Like I said um, at, at the beginning, I'm, I'm looking forward to reading all this coverage, seeing everything that happens this weekend. But, you know, the big question beyond this, like you referenced, becomes Joe Maurer. And that's, you know, not just big from a, you know, can he get in standpoint, but, you know, the, everybody knows his story. I'm not going to belabor it, but, you know, the St. Paul number one overall pick, twins, you know, a little bit like Tony in that the, you know, the body of work of his best years is, is what's going to have to carry him and that injuries did derail him in a very similar way. But, you know, and Lavelle, you look at the best, you know, six years of Maurer's career, essentially between like, you know, 2004 and 2010, it's, it's, it's something else. It is. Um, and, you know, I'm confident that Maurer's going to get in. Uh, can he get in on the first ballot? I'm not sure, but I've talked to enough writers from outside of Twin Cities who believe that Maurer's 10 years as a catcher for outweigh his five years as a first baseman enough to the point where that he should get in. Uh, three batting titles as a catcher, which is unheard of. MVP in 2009. People are going to remember that. They also know Joe's a nice guy. Didn't start any controversy. Uh, wasn't, a, wasn't a prick to reporters. And that ends up playing in, in, in his favor. The, the Boy Scout gene that Joe Maurer was born with will serve him well. Well, it's time for this vote to come around. I feel like sometimes in these cases, though, like with, you know, shortened primes or shortened periods of excellence, sometimes like postseason stuff becomes a tiebreaker. And let's face it, Joe just did not have those moments. He didn't. Um, he played on a few twins teams that made the postseason. Um, well, Phil Cousy cost him a, a double and maybe an RBI in one of those postseason games. Um, that should not have been forgotten. But um you know, I the one thing I like about baseball, I still think predominantly that people look at the at regular season success. Yeah. I think I think postseason could push you over the top. You know, I think you know, like considering someone like Kurt Schilling, he's going to be known for his postseason heroics. David Cohn, any support he got was because of his postseason heroics. He's considered a big game pitcher later in his career. Um, I and Mauer's also the victim of being on a team that wasn't deep enough to get past the Yankees in the postseason. X amount in several of those years. So uh, you definitely can't hold it back. You can't hold it against him. Uh, Only if he, you know, had Jeter like moments in the postseason that that could fuel his candidacy, you you would consider that. But um, it is what it is, man. He's going to just rely on his regular season uh, success to get to Cooperstown. Well, we'll see if he makes it. The one thing that is not in doubt is that. Tony Oliva, Jim Cott, and David Ortiz have made it. You will be there to chronicle it this weekend. Um, Enjoy the trip, Lavelle. Appreciate the time today, and let's catch up again soon. Uh, Thanks for having me. On the Maurer discussion, by the way, let me get um, let me backtrack a little bit and correct myself. Maurer not eligible to the 2024 Hall of Fame induction, so that's an interesting. You know, it's an argument that we're going to have for the next, you know, year or two. Is he going to get in? Is he not going to get in? Again, I just, I, I worry about the body of work. I feel like the, the, you know, the, the best case scenario is that, you know, the, the best of his years are too much, you know, for voters to ignore the three batting titles, the MVP, just the dominance at the catcher position. But the tail end of his career was such a letdown compared to the start of his career. I just don't know. And you don't have that intangible of being, 
know, you know, of being the, uh, of, you know, being the, you know, this postseason hero. So I don't know how that all works out for him. That's going to be a fascinating question. Again, like I said to Lavelle, we do know that three Minnesota connections are going in this weekend, and that is going to be a very cool thing. Kyler Murray. Um, speaking of a very cool thing for Kyler Murray, $230.5 million, including $160 million guaranteed with the Cardinals. My favorite part of this story, um, reading from an ESPN, ESPN.com story, kind of analyzing why, you know, why the, why the, um, why the Cardinals did this deal with, with Kyler Murray, why, why they kind of had to and, and give this, give themselves this stability, even though Murray has not been perfect. So one of my favorite parts of the ESPN.com story, I've got it queued up here, talking about Cliff Kingsbury has long talked about Murray improving his body language on the field, going as far as showing the quarterback videos of how Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, and Russell Wilson conduct themselves. Um, Aaron Rodgers is a great quarterback, one of the best quarterbacks I've ever seen, a generational talent. His body language is abysmal. He routinely shows up, teammates, coaches. Um, his Aaron Rodgers pouty face is legendary. Tom Brady kind of does the same thing, but I think I feel like Aaron Rodgers does it to a greater extent. If, if that is your role model for having – an improved body language on the field, uh, that's going to be an even bigger mess for Kyler Murray. So that part of it just struck me as amusing more than anything. Um, you know, I have I do my jokes on Aaron Rodgers. Again, I, I, he's literally probably the best quarterback I've ever seen play, but his body language is terrible. That is not the one you want to emulate, but he is getting Aaron Rodgers-like money with this deal, and we will see if Kyler Murray can truly join the quote-unquote elite quarterbacks in this league or he will remain in that kind of tier two of very good. Hey, let's finish with the cooler. One more reminder, read Patrick Royce's coverage of Cooperstown this weekend. He is with my friend John Sharkman, and there should be some good stories to come from that. Follow his journal, startribune.com. There'll be multiple entries over the weekend. And Patrick and I will be back on Tuesday next week to talk all about it. No show on Monday as Patrick travels back from Cooperstown and I finish off a long weekend in North Dakota at my grandma's 90th birthday party. So that'll do it for today. That'll do it until Tuesday. Until then, enjoy the weekend. I'm Michael Rand. Back at it again next week. 